think we're winning. Yeah, I think you look better than me. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. I never like to see that on your own. I, your own hate, I hate when that happens. <laughs> so I'm, I like you already. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the show. I have an incredible guest on today, Sebastian and uh, Ingles? Ingus. Ingus. Yeah. On the show. Absolutely incredible. You're going to love them. And uh, I'll just say that up front. We're going to talk about motivation, about inspiration, about self-discovery, and how that affects your finances, probably your personal life, mm -hmm. maybe even how you feel about yourself. Um, a lot of that will cater into, you know, like whether you really respect yourself or not, which mm -hmm. is, a, I think, an important question. Um, excited to have them on. And without any further ado, let's... Yeah, I thank you so much Let's for coming in. I know you're like here just for a couple of hours and uh, then you're bailing. Um, Vegas is too hot for you? <laughs> well, is that, this, is, this is intense. Is that, well, I've been in a hotel for the last two days speaking, so I didn't realize how hot it was until oh, okay. I ventured out to Henderson. And I'm like, oh, well, it's... Where were you speaking? Uh, at the Mirage for uh, uh, Ryan Pineda's event. Oh, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Ryan's a good dude. cool guy. Yeah, he's... Yeah. Making stuff happen. I mean, he he, he's been really just pushing, 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 pushing. Yeah. Far different from uh, the baseball career, right? Yeah. And, and his story, I think, is an interesting one and a lesson for a lot of people. A lot of friends that came from baseball. But, yeah, he was played in the minors forever and, and realized he wasn't going to get to where he wanted to be doing that, even though that was his passion. And that was built a, a pretty big business for himself and was doing really well. I thought his event was great. They, they hailed it with a, a level of excellence that I like to see. Good events are hard to pull off, and I thought he did a pretty sure. good job. What's uh, and live events, especially? I mean, we're just getting back into the, I know, the I'm so excited. heartbeat of of that, which I'm excited about. I love like people, I like Me the too. energy of another human being. Yes, in my presence. Yes, that, that I think is so important to just being. What were you speaking about? I, he decided uh, he wanted me to, to kind of work on my my framework around how I look at wealth, wealth building. Mm -hmm. how to buy back your time. So I use the framework of uh, premise, value, purpose, and systems. But a lot of my work is around self-awareness. That's where I spend most of my time. Um, I get the call a lot for the guys who want to go from good to great. They're doing well. They're just, they feel like there's another level or they feel like there's not enough balance. I don't like the word balance, but that's the word that gets used a lot where the big three, as I call them, are out of whack, right? They're mm -hmm. great with their finances, usually, but their relationships suck. Their health mm -hmm. sucks. And they're going, hey, like this didn't get me the fulfillment I thought I was going to get from it, which happens very often, right? Like money, in Ecclesiastes it says money is the answer for everything, which is true, but only in what it represents, right? Only right. what it can get you. So it's, I think getting money right first can be useful because it allows you the resources to go after everything else. Have, have you actually read Ecclesiastes? I have, yeah. You've yeah. actually read it? Yeah, I actually have a degree in theology, it turns out. You realize that of, there's three books of wisdom in the Bible. That's one of the books. Yep. And it's one of the books that everybody like, just scans over and never reads. No, you're missing out if you do. I, but it's, it's the one, I think, that is the hardest for people to confront. I don't care if you're a Christian, Muslim, anything. I think Ecclesiastes is one of the hardest, hardest um, wisdom books to approach in, in the Bible. Um, right. Because it, it confronts the idea that this is all pointless yeah that this is there's, there's nothing new under the sun there's nothing new it is yeah. so gut-wrenching to the ego <laughs> that all of a sudden you realize that most everything you do in life is in vain yeah 
that you know the and the guy that had it all king solomon king solomon the wisest man like literally had everything you know uh equivalent to like you know um, manny's car collection or something (laughs) like that right in today's life and literally literally it means nothing and and i think that's that's a fun jumping off point for a lot of people who are i would say awakening or beginning Mm -hmm. to question the meaning of life that isn't a very fulfilling thing to hear. What do you mean? None of this matters. I was on Ryan's podcast a couple nights ago and he's like, I'm painting a picture of kind of my worldview and in, in spirituality and metaphysics. And he's like, well then what's the point to all of this? Right. And like, to me, that's the question. Yes. Right. We're all trying to get back to yeah. well, what is the point? And, and I do believe there is a point. I don't think it's, it's aimless, but it, it very often it takes, achieving all of the world not always there's a back door but it takes mm-hmm. for many it takes achieving all the worldly success to finally pause what well, was king solomon right he had everything yeah. and go well wait what is the point of all of this hey god this isn't like, the what's answer up? yeah <laughs> like, exactly what's up? i got everything i'm not happy yeah uh, there, there's really an art to fulfillment right mm-hmm. and i think it's it's not a science at 100%. all achievement science yes. art fulfillment yeah completely so I wrote a book called The Origin of Opportunity, and this is not a plug for my book. It just happens to be that I ended up with my whole editing team of about, I think it was seven or eight people. They were all Christians. And the, the main guy, my main editor, the chief, chief editor, um, was actually you know, a, a father or a, you know, a preacher, right? And he goes, you didn't write anything special. He goes, this is already written in the Bible called the you know, yeah. Ecclesiastes. And uh, I said, you've got to be kidding me. I said, <laughs> I said, if my book is 300 pages or whatever, 250, and it's in the Bible in 30, I'm getting close. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he laughed. I said, if God well, can so. write it in 30, 30 pages and I can write it in 300, then I'm gaining, yeah. you know? So, uh, but it was, it was like, it was really fascinating. It had me relook at Ecclesiastes. But part of my journey is in the book is you get to the point where you realize your identity is controlling you, that your yes. stories don't really support you, yes. and that possibility is open to you if you can divorce yourself of the stories yes. and the ide- identity that you have and be able to create identities, create stories off of the trillions of experiences that you've had, and then take that, and then open up possibility, which means everything is possible. But then there was a point in the book where I realized that in order to have complete possibility, you had to have no possibility. You have to surrender. Because it's part of it too. Yeah. Like no possibility is just as big as, if not, you know, the, the same balanced. And then you go to the next level, which is life is pointless, meaningless. Yep. And then there's this rebirth. Yes. And the rebirth is, oh my God, like literally I'm, I'm co-creating with God. hundred percent. I'm like, oh my, like, wait a minute. I'm not controlled by who I am or where I'm from or the stories I've created, like, or possibility or no, po- like everything in life is an opportunity. Like that's why I call it the origin of opportunity because at the end of the book, hopefully you've surrendered, you're nothing. Yes. And now you're able to create anything. Yes. Like, Only when we've let go of everything, can we be anything? Yeah. Right? And that's the work. And I think we come in and we, we want to hold on to things. I, I literally talked about this framework. Mm-hmm. Most of us come in, 85% of the population, big study was just done, 85% of the population is not aware at all. Mm. And then to me, 85%. 85%. And I think that's actually it. So, how do you define awareness? Well, I think, great point. I think there's, there's two parts. One is inner awareness. You're mm-hmm. aware of your experiences, you're aware of your responses, you're aware of your emotional condition. 
what you're thinking. You, you mentioned identity. My whole first book, hopefully will be out at the end of the year, is entirely on identity because our identity is the driving force in our life. We will not move <laughs> further than how we see ourselves. Yeah. And most people haven't looked at how they see themselves since oh they were God. children. You're giving me right? goosebumps. I, I, like, part, my first part of the book is... Um, like whatever you think you are, like, do you think you're a man? Yeah. Okay. Cause I want to be to the, well, okay. Okay. <laughs> jumping a student. Okay. A plus the idea is to the degree that you identify as a man is to the degree that man owns you and you don't own it. Yes. When you use man as a, something you a get to do, yeah. something you have, something that you get to be, you get to do. I get to do man. hundred percent. I get to do being man. I get to have being man. Rather than have man having you. Yes. And then it dictates you. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to be that. You're supposed to. And you're being led around by the ideas you have about being a man. Or yes. worse, what culture thinks you should yes. be as a man. Yes, which is huge right now. And when you're, when you're dragged around by something, you're not in power. No. You're in weakness. 100%. You're so, under force. So my description ends at I am, period. Period, yeah. Anything after that is simply clothing I'm putting on and taking off. Yeah, for sure. And that's my enjoyment. And that, to me, goes back to purpose on earth. This is a big sandbox, and we get to play in it. For we sure. We get to experience what all these things are. But at the end of the day, I strip it all off. Wow. I'm excited to read the book. That's yeah, well, thank cool. you. The end of the day, they forced me, forced me <laughs> to write a chapter on me. You know, oh, that's fun. Yeah, because they said that you know, I didn't want the book to be about me at all. It wasn't uh-huh. it? Was it was like literally twenty six years of research, five years of writing, brain damage, wow. right? And um, with everything I'd ever learned from Heidegger and Hegel and mm-hmm. um, Warner Earhart and er- just studying all, I studied the Quran, I studied the Bible, I studied Scientology, I, I Gita, studied, like everybody, right? Um, Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Went, went to the temples, just the, the whole, I mean, that's how nothing really, like, was like, oh, here's, some, here's nothing, right? Mm. Um, so it was all part of it. But at the end of my talking about who I am, I say that I'm not, basically I cancel any of that, and I'm more interested in, in who I'm becoming. Like, that's interesting to me than who I've been. Yes. Who I've been is history. You can't change it. Yes. Right? But who I'm, I'm interested in the journey of becoming. Yes. Like, I'm not me yet. Ever. Yes. Right? It's like a big hole that's being filled every day. The fulfillment is in the journey. Yeah. Right? And you mentioned co-creation. I love that. That's exactly it. We are co-creating daily into that journey. And that's really where the fulfillment is. It gets stale when we keep drawing on the past. And I can, I can tell just in someone's language where they're at. If we're stuck in the past, we frame everything in the past, right? We're drawing on something that no longer exists. And it's dead. There's no life in it. And you can really feel that in someone. Yeah. So, I love that. So it was unpacking this, I think there's four levels of consciousness and, and awareness. Going back to the question, there's, there's two parts to awareness. There's inner awareness, mm-hmm. and then there's outer awareness. Outer awareness is the ability to pay attention to your environment, the emotional impact on others, the emotional condition in the room or the energy in the room. Socially intelligent people tend to be good at both. They're aware of how they're responding or how they're experiencing. But then you're saying also, socially or emotionally? They're both. There's okay, social they're, intelligence, emotional intelligence, and awareness are all okay. pretty... Because I've heard it a lot. Yeah, in, like, for sure. I cover a lot about emotional intelligence. EQ is, I mean, the, the, the study on EQ has been really fascinating. We found that it's a, a much much more accurate predictor of lasting success than uh, IQ. Which, yeah. And, and I, I think in my own experience, at least anecdotally, I could say I've seen that over and over again. 
right? People who, who understand how to regulate their own emotions and understand them. I think a, a perfect example of a guy that emanates that is um, Gary Vee. Yeah. Gary Vee is like one of the most emotionally intelligent beings that I've seen communicate yeah. on stage. I would agree. You know, and, and people are like, well, what is he he's saying the same thing over and over again? And he even says, I'm going to say the same thing over and over again. But the impact is that you can hear his emotional intelligence, that it makes sense. Yes. Right? Yeah. So social intelligence, what, what does that look like? Well, I think social intelligence is emotional intelligence, but applied in a social environment, right? So you're, there's, again, emotional intelligence, there's two forms. That goes back to self-awareness. There's inner awareness, how mm -hmm. I'm emotionally showing up, how I'm emotionally experiencing the world. You're aware of your own thoughts, your own emotions. And then outward emotional intelligence is you're aware of your environment, how people mm. are experiencing you, how you're showing up, and how people are energetically connecting with or not connecting with your message or what you're saying. The superpower is when you have both. You're inwardly emotionally intelligent, you're, you're aware of your own emotions, and you're outwardly emotional, emo emotionally intelligent. That according to recent studies, is less than 5% of the population that has I both. I believe that. And yeah. I, I think that's high, but that's the... Yeah, you know, um, I, do you think there's an interconnectedness to both of those? Like, if I'm really accurate about understanding what emotional state I'm in, right, then am I able to socially see what emotional state somebody else is in? Maybe, but where people get stuck and where I see this a lot mm -hmm. is they get deeply introspective. So okay. you can tell if somebody's... Somebody who's very emotionally intelligent, um, they understand themselves. They're very introspective. They're not. They're generally not very concerned about the outside world, and it's obvious in the way they show up. They're very aware of what they like, what they experience, what they're into, but they're not accounting for the rest of the world, nor do they really care. On the mm -hmm. flip side of that, there are people who have zero or very little understanding of their own emotional condition, usually from a trauma response, but they're hyper-aware of other people's. That's really? generally from trauma, childhood trauma, where they lived in an environment where they had to constantly adapt. Mm -hmm. I think somebody who maybe had a grew up in a military family, moved constantly and had to constantly reinvent themselves and, and, and build new friendships everywhere they went. They became really good at adapting to their environment and reading their environment, or they were sadly in an abusive home where they had to read the environment to figure out whether mom or dad is angry or not, and then adapt to how to adjust. And so you'll see that where... <clears throat> Very often it's one or the other. Wholeness, being able to do both, is usually when there's a lot of healing that's taken place. A lot of that trauma has been resolved. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, that's it. And I guess, how would somebody find out that, that they are part of that 85%? Or, I mean, is there a way for somebody to really, like, gather Figure out how aware they are? Yeah, I mean, because I, I don't think that 85% of... The population wants to be no that was 20 so my one of my operating um, assumptions for the first 25 years of my life which really slowed me down i assumed two things consistently that people were in love with truth or everybody wanted truth mm. um, and that everyone was interested in growing it took me into my mid-20s before i finally came to the resolution like yeah, that's not an accurate assumption. Yeah. <laughs> not everybody is interested in truth and not everybody is interested in growth. Yeah. Um, and so I would say that's what runs off most of the people in my life. I, I love like the truth. Like yeah, me too. Like Billy Joel, the, the song Honesty was like the, the song that I sang over and over again and rather be told the truth. Um, and the other thing is learning and growing. Yes. I'm like, I'll ask the hard questions and, and I'll be vulnerable and I'll talk about things that are uncomfortable. 
And usually people just run off. They just want that shallow conversation. Yeah. I don't do shallow. No, I, I don't know how to do that either. And that makes sense just as I'm getting to know you. That makes sense because we just got done talking about identity. If your identity isn't tied to a particular belief system or a particular way of seeing the world and you seek truth first, then you have no problem upgrading oh, the yeah. truth. And, 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 I and, love being wrong. Yeah, me too. Like, oh, oh, like, oh, like whoa. That's great. Like you just made me wrong. I, I just let's. That's fabulous. I'm. I didn't like hanging on to that anyway. Right. You know. Like, it's it like, no longer serves me. Then I'm. I'm happy to exchange it out. And I say this all the time. And, and my content. I'm like, hey, I reserve the right to acknowledge that I no longer believe something. Yeah. It's it's hilarious in our culture how often we're like, well, they said that ten years ago. I don't care if somebody said something ten years ago. Do they believe that now? Yeah. Right. It's like I reserve the right to change my mind in light of new information. Yeah. I mean, right? it, it made sense till it didn't. Right. Right. Exactly. It, you know. And it no longer serves you, or you were informed of something uh, that gave you a superior position. Take that. Yeah, I think I think that's uh, that's hard for people though, because yeah. if your whole identity is tied to a belief system, it's not gonna. It, you're, and I can always tell because if somebody's identity is tied to a belief system, they become very emotional in their response to what's being talked about because the challenge isn't to truth, it's to their identity. Yes. The, the underlying question is, well, if this isn't true, what does that say about me? Right. Or if that isn't true, what does that say about my world? And so they'll defend things even though they know in many cases consciously this is no longer accurate, right. but they don't know who they are without it. Yeah. Right. And that's the tragedy. So this is why my you know, my whole first book is on identity, because this is the linchpin. Yeah. If you can begin to peel off those layers and surrender them. Uh, and so there's this there's these, you know, phases of consciousness. Eighty five percent of the population not self aware. And I would say their their worldview is life is happening to me. I'm at the effects of life. Right. And they're like the fly hitting the window over and right. over again. This time, this time it's gonna open. And they continue to to kind of go through this path. And to your question, 85%, how do you know if I'm aware or not? I would say anywhere in your life where you continually get an unintended consequence, could be negative or positive, you are likely unaware. Yeah. That's why you continue to get the unintended consequence. Right. And so you don't have to get into morbid introspection. You can just start going, well, where am I getting an unintended consequence? Where in my life am I not happy or I'm not fulfilled? Right. right. Where am I not getting what I want? So that's to me. The crack of light in most of my coaching is just shifting people from life is happening to me to life is happening for, for me. me. Yeah. yeah. And that's a, that's a step two, right? I, ta- that's a I big talk one. about that in my book between the difference between context and content. Hmm. And, you know, let's say everything in this room is content, right? But we're the focus, yes. right? We're talking that the equipment that's recording us, so forth, is, is the that if you think of context as the lens like for example if i go out and say i love it everyone that's talking to me is the only way that i can talk to god because god will speak through every single person that talks to me and everything i need to know about what god is thinking is being communicated between the people that i show love to so if i show love to them beautiful then god will speak to me through them and i'm like and what happens is when you throw a different lens on, you know, and you can try, try the other, you can say, every, you know, everybody's, you know, put out negative vibes and see what comes back to you and put on that lens that everybody is evil and, and that life is evil and, and take a look at w- what shows up for you. Because it's amazing when you change that lens and you put on different glasses and you say, wow, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see that through that lens. 
And what's cool is you can put any lens on you want. Try it on. Everybody loves me. Like it. See yeah. how that works yeah. for a day. <laughs> um, or, you know, everybody hates me. Go with that for a day. <laughs> see, and see, like what, see what that looks like. And what's fascinating is what shows up for you. We have so much control with our context, like what you're saying. Yes. We have so much, like literally we can change the trajectory of our entire life by changing the context or the lens that we see life out of. To me, that is one of the most powerful realizations in the human experience. And I've seen many, many grown men cry mm -hmm. the minute they realize that. Anyway, I am, <laughs> I am creating the context in which I am looking at my life. And I am, I say all the time to my guys. Your box. Yeah. This is what you're seeing. Your 100%. We yeah. don't see the world the way it is. We see the world the way we are. Yeah. Here, I'm going to have to, I'm sorry I haven't read your book yet, but it <laughs> sounds fantastic. I'll it's a, it's it a book that I haven't tried to promote at all. I don't try and push it out there. I let people find it. It does very yeah. well, actually. I believe you, just but, based on our conversation. But yeah, it's like even one of the, I have a four pages, every, every chapter is like three pages. So it's real simple. And the idea is read three pages, don't read anymore. Yeah. Let it process for three mm -hmm. days and just soak it in. Like even yeah. context and content, you could read through those three pages and then sit with that information for, because it's, it's not a book on self-help. Yeah. It's a book on self-discovery. I told the the mm. the, um, the publishing company, I said, this is a book on self-destruction. should be opposite of self-help. Because I think self-help hurts people. Yeah. Right? There's no formula for do, doing a right life. Yep. There's, oh, yeah, 100%. I agree with that. You know, there's discover yourself and then being able to project that. But there's one section on love about my wife. And I'll make it real quick. It's like, I used to look at her... We've been together for 13 years. I used to look at her through a lens that said, if you do this, then I love you, right? And mm -hmm. I noticed when she didn't do that, I had a very uncomfortable feeling of pulling away and not, not wanting to caress and be part of. I switched that to, okay, what is the experience of love, mm -hmm. right? And then I thought, well, in the experience of love, when you first meet somebody, oh, get, they got a drug problem, no problem, we'll get over that. Oh, they have no finances, we'll <laughs> get over that. infatuation. We, yeah, we get, oh, credit, they got no credit, no problem. You know, it's like everything's no problem, right? Yep. You, you've got them. But then I started looking at, okay, what's the real experience there? The experience is you're looking for the reasons to love somebody, mm. right? Rather than the other side of that. So... I started a practice, and this was about eight years ago, of looking every day for new ways to love her. Every single day today, I'm like overwhelmed with all kinds of stuff that I see that she's done today yes. before you getting here. Yes. That I'm just like so in awe of who she is as a human being. And I find it every day. Like literally, it's not even like trying anymore. You'll find what you're looking for. And, I, it's the, and it's not so much for her. And somebody told me I was a sociopath when I said this. <laughs> I said, it's the way I get to feel. I get to feel like in love yep. every day. And I get moments of like this dopamine intoxication. And now I'm a drug addict <laughs> to experiencing love with the person that I'm with. And I get to experience that every day. So this is, this is a very hard truth for a lot of people to get to in, in a lot of my content some of the stuff that's really resonated with people i talk a lot about love and this idea of what love is and what it isn't which is always tricky well tactically how would you explain that to someone how could they apply what you're saying to their life because 
we use in our culture, we think like, I fell in love. I fell out of love. I don't know. I just don't feel the same way anymore. But what, what practices did you put into place that help you come to this realization? Because this is a big one. I think tactically this helps people. They're like, well, how do I shift my, my view of what love is? So a lot of people think of it as like, describe it almost like it's an accident. It happens oh, and then yeah, it doesn't, yeah. which is like, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's the idea of creating it. At first, I think what everyone will do, and the same thing I went through, is you're gonna, your brain is going to tell you this is BS, yeah. right? That this is forced, that this is not real. Um, you have to feel love before you can feel love. And I went, wait a minute. I'm not letting my feelings dictate my right. life. I own my feelings. 100%. My feelings don't own me. And then my brain that kept telling me all kinds of thoughts about what to think, I'm like, wait a minute. My brain is there to serve me, not to tell me how to think or feel, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, you, exactly you, right. you guys got to chill. So yeah. I would, at first it started out with like she would stumble. And before I used to get irritated when she'd stumble. Hmm. But then I thought, oh, that's super cute. She's kind of clumsy, <laughs> right? Oh, man, that's cute. And then I noticed like things that how she walked. And I went, oh, man, that's, that's cute. And then I, I noticed like, just things, little things, like how she, how she takes care of herself. And, mm. and then, like, why did she pick that outfit? That's interesting, what she's trying to express. And then you just start, like, on this journey of, like, every, like, today she, she was, you know, she started making a cup of coffee, and I'm like, oh, let me get that, right? And, it, you know, it's just, like, little things. Um, she was running around helping me find somebody from Indeed um, because we're trying to fill a bunch of positions. I'm like, here's this woman managing 450 employees for Google. Her book of business, I'm not supposed to say, is $55 billion. Wow. Okay, I'm not supposed to say that, so don't <laughs> listen to this. So I, I'm like, literally, and, and here she is trying to help me on top of that between her meetings. Her calendar is ridiculous. She's got like this whole whole thing. And you, I look behind the, the curtain. This is another day. And I see all these task lists for these 450 employees all over the world, in Australia, in um India, in, in Sacramento, in Southern California, I'm looking at, I'm like, whoa, she's got people in Mexico now. Like, and, and she's up at five. I'm like, she's, and you know, I, I'm like, who is this person? She just got her PhD. Hmm. And then I was like, you know, seeing her get the PhD and walk the line. And this is, she's got three master's degrees. I'm like, and then I thought, well, wait a minute. My support gave her the space and she never has to think about me fooling around. Yeah. She doesn't have to think about whether she's good enough. Yeah. She's great. Right. And I'm lucky. I always like look at her like a 14 woman. Like I don't deserve her. I, mm -hmm. I tell myself all the time, like I don't deserve this woman. I have this woman, but I don't deserve her. And I love that not deserving looking for reasons to create love. And if you look, you find it. You can, in anybody, 100%. in any, like, and then it becomes like a superpower. You can love anybody, anytime, for any reason. You don't need permission. Love anybody, love anything. Anything. Which is, can be hard for people. I love that. I, yeah. I say it this way. Love is not something we even have to create. It's mm -hmm. our birthright. All we have to do is remove whatever obstacles we put in our way from experiencing love. It's like the clouds don't put out the sun. The sun is always present. Yeah. Right. We just have to remove the clouds or whatever we've put in the way of love. Yeah. Who knows? When you think about our mountaintop experiences, when you think about our best experiences, I think most of us would say love was present. Yeah. So it's like 
well, why would we ever choose anything other than love? Yeah. What are we valuing more than love? But that expression and that, that learning within uh, an intimate relationship is, I think that's huge. I think our closest relationships give us the greatest opportunity for awakening and learning and, and practicing what real love is, yeah. which is what you're communicating is a choice. Yes. Right? It's not something you fall into or fall out of. You're mm-hmm. choosing to show up and love your wife every day in the most beautiful way possible. How long have you guys been married? 13 years. 13 years. That's yeah. Awesome. And it gets easier every day. Like literally gets easier. I love that. Every single day. I got a little, yeah, a little tangle. So, but what's fascinating, and, and this is kind of like even more recent, I forgot till this moment, is I started to think about how do I start loving myself mm. like I love her? And I had that thought about eight months ago, and I tried it on, I think, for a day, and I haven't remembered it I had, until now. I've re-remembered it yes. now, and so now I'm going to have to practice, like, what can I find about me to love every day, which I, I know it's like, I should do it. I know yes. I should. It's just like, it feels like probably it felt when I first started implementing um, how I feel about her. Now it's easy. It's autopilot. Like literally my brain just goes, oh, hey, we found something to love about her. Oh, hey, we found it's autopilot. Brain's trained. It's like, yeah. it'll find this stuff. I don't even have to work for it. You know, it just shows up um, and the feelings show up. Now I just need to work on myself. I don't know how to love myself like I love her. Yeah, and, and it feels wrong. It feels why do, wrong. Why do you think that is? Because you're, you're not alone in that. A lot of people feel that way. Spe- specifically, I feel like men feel that way about loving themselves, like genuinely loving themselves. I, I feel like it invalidates other people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want people to think that I think that I'm better than them because mm-hmm. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's why I, you know, I'd have had as many as 375 cars with, you know, exotics and everything like that. I didn't show any of them on content. I go out of my way and I wear the same shirt every single day. I've made it, I've gone out, I've flexed at times, but it's really not flexing. It's like sharing. And, um, you know, as soon as somebody says you're flexing, they put me right in my place. I stop and I hide everything again. Yeah, and I go into hiding in regards to what I've accomplished. I've started 32 companies in 17 industries. The car behind you is 250 grand or yeah. more than that. I've gotten into that thing. Um, and literally, I'm afraid to show any of it because I don't want people to think they're not that. And envy has been just so, so, like, I get so much hate and envy yeah. that every time I, like, put out there, and I put it out there to say, hey, I'll show you how I did it. I'll teach you how to build business credit. I'll show you how to open a business. I'll, I'll talk about how, what strategies will make it faster. And I, like everything I know, I've spent $43 million on my education. It's yours for free. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to put a gun in your mouth like I did. You don't have to attempt suicide. You don't have to do any of that. I'll just hand you my knowledge. You could just have it. Like literally, I don't, I don't like, I'll use it, but it's not something that by telling you is going to hurt me. Like, I'd love to see more people succeed. Do you remember the first time you felt that way? Where you were, you were afraid of people not liking you because you were flexing or were successful or had achieved something? I think the first part was, I grew up in an area that was like 6% white. Yeah. So I never fit in when I was growing up. Um, and then I started breakdancing, which I was really good at. 
So I got included because, you know, people that had groups wanted to win. Yep. And I had like the moves. I, yep. I had a combination of all kinds Something of in the 80s. Um, this, yeah, like 85. Yep. Yeah, I could do windmill, halo, yep. head spins wow. until like cool. 100 head spins, any kind of windmill, no hands, um, nutcracker, whatever. It didn't matter. And then I could do this unbelievable halo that nobody could do. That's where you're on your hand and your head and you're like mm -hmm. in the air. And then I could pop into a head spin and just all kinds of crazy stuff. But it was my, I trained every day at home for like six, eight hours a day, every single day, because I had to be the best because I was the only white guy there. I had to be the best. It was like the kind of the, I watched eight mile with um, Eminem and I cried throughout that movie because I know exactly what it's like to be the only white person in the room and that you don't want to be acknowledged for being white. You want to be acknowledged because you got what it takes, mm. right? You got it and you know, you got it, but you've got to get it like, at least 20 or 30% more than anybody else in the room to get the acknowledgement, you know? And of course it's flipped the other way for so many people, Absolutely, the opposite way. So I can relate when people say, Hey, I've been discriminated against or there's racism. Yeah, it exists. It does exist, but we're creating it. Every and people create racism all the time. It's not something that exists on it on its own. Naturally. Yeah. It's not a natural phenomenon. It is, yeah. Man created. It's a story about a thing. It's yeah. It's a way for us to interface with the world to try to make sense yeah. of it again. So, so are you saying then? Um, Wait a minute. This is my podcast. So <laughs> I ask the questions. <laughs> this is super fascinating. So, so in breakdancing, though, mm -hmm. you you got to a point where you felt like you couldn't outshine, or you were afraid to um, to achieve at a level where you thought that would work against you. Oh, and no. Well, so was the original question. I'm, that, I'm curious. That, that where broke me in. Okay. I yeah. broke in yeah. because I, I, what, like, they wouldn't have me as part of the group. Totally. If I wasn't way past. So that was important. Yes. I, I, I mean, I popped out of vertebrae. I broke things. I mean, it, it was committed like you would not believe. So, so not showing up, and, and this is what I'm hearing, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Not showing up in your fullness out of concern about what other people think has slowed you down in some cases? Um, I don't know if I understand that. So up until breakdancing, mm -hmm. um, I'd never really fit in. That broke me in at, yeah. a, at a whole new level. I was yep. like famous in school, traveled all over the place, did fairs, was all over everywhere, San Francisco, everything with my group. And uh, we were like, everybody was trying to know us and, you know, girls were surrounded while we were dancing and they didn't matter because yep. it was all about battling. And, yep. uh, you know, it was, it, you just instantly were celebrity kind of thing. Um, I think later when the break dancing went away and there wasn't that sense, I got into business and I had two companies by the time I was 15, I was a multimillionaire by the time I was 17 with 200 employees and I went from being cool breakdancing to being this awkward business person in high school with almost everybody my age that I was employing. My youngest manager was 37 years old, <laughs> right? So no one could relate to me yeah, very again. Yep. And then they teased me for having a business. Yeah. Even though I was in the newspaper and I went to college, I was already a multimillionaire. I'm like, I don't know why I'm in college. 
like literally I'm studying for jobs that are going to be 50 grand. Yeah. A hundred grand. Like why, why am I, I don't understand why I'm here. You know? So I dropped out of, of college because I, I couldn't see the point. Right. I'd yeah. already by that time created three companies, three successful companies. That's incredible. So, yeah. So connection community mm-hmm. means a lot to you. Yes. Being part of a team means a lot to you. Feeling alienated or misunderstood isn't what you're looking for. No. Yeah. Not, not and, at all. And so when you feel like you're, you correct me if I'm wrong, but if you feel like your success or your wealth or your achievement alienates you or makes you unrelatable, you'll quickly mute that or pull back, as you were saying, exactly. stop flexing, because connection means more to you than those things. Yeah, which yeah. makes it hard to have people over at a, you know, there's like $7 million, $7.7 million in this house. It's gorgeous. And um, it's like, I don't want my house to separate me from being in connection with somebody. I don't want yeah. somebody to envy because their, their entire house fits in this, this garage. garage. <laughs> Literally, right? Yeah. If you have a 2,000 square foot house, this is it. Yeah. Right? If you have a 3,500 square or 4,400 square foot that's the theater in the game room. And that's not, that's a third of the house. So it, it, it really, even though I don't see the difference when I'm in a 1200 square foot home and I walk in and I'm there with it, it's just, they're just boxes mm-hmm. with plumbing, right? <laughs> and some electrical and air conditioning, like they're just boxes and I can only occupy two square feet. So, yep. So this goes back to loving yourself, which I love this conversation. Mm. So you're saying harder to love yourself because of all of these other implications that come with that. Yeah, word, right, that's come, where we got. word comes up like impossible. Yeah. I think it's impossible for me to love me. What do you think the consequence of not loving yourself is? If I'm being honest. Is? Yeah. I, I mean, I tell people all the time that, you know, but I'm going to be honest with you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So what do you think the consequence of not loving yourself is? Um... The consequence of that, I don't know, honestly. I don't know if that's a a game my brain's playing with me, you know. Um, But honestly, I don't don't know. I, you know, it's weird. I do Ironmans, right? So I train like ridiculously. (laughs) Um, I have one coming in October, and I just did one. Um, I'm doing. um, I did Hawaii, but I'm doing Sacramento. Mm Um, Sacramento's pretty flat. Should be a fast course. I play, I'm trying to get my best time there. Yep. What's um, your best uh, your best event of the three? It's swimming, biking, and running. Yeah. My yeah, my best. I, I mean, I love the run. The run's um, pretty fun. I'm I'm usually pretty good on the run. Um, I'm buying a I'm going to buy a, a Pinarello, like a fifteen thousand dollar bike. So mm-hmm. I have a Cervelo now, and I'm like, like I want to pump my my bike game up even higher. So mm-hmm. I'll be doing a lot of training for that. So the next three months will be probably four to six hours a day of training every single day, which is funny. Nobody sees that. Um, they never see, like I was thinking today, think about this, for, exa- for example, when do you think that, um, what's the average age of somebody gets drafted into the NBA? Average age 21? 22 to 28. 22, 28. Well, that's quite a range. 22, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm like, that's, that's the average, right? And I'm like, okay, that's a big average. I think the oldest guy ever was like 35. But that, so let's just call it 25. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's split, the, split, split in the middle. 
right? 25. That seems old to me, but nonetheless, I'm with you. There's I'm, some I'm that, you. that are 17, 18, right. that sort of. I'm just, that's what it says. Let's yeah. call it 22. Okay. When do you start playing basketball? For a lot of them, probably elementary school. Maybe five, yeah, six five, years six. old that you start that muscle, muscle coordination. Yep. So from five to 22, 17 years, the average NBA person hmm. has not got paid a dime for training to do something for 17 years. Yeah. I'm like, I look at people that, that are like such wussies about entrepreneurship. I said, I'll work for three to five years and lose money. I'll develop a project and be gut wrenched, broke, and have worked for five years for nothing so that I can make millions. Like in an NBA player, they, they suck it up for 17 years. So that they can make a, a few million dollars if they're lucky yeah. for the course of two to five years. Yeah. I mean, that's to a me, beautiful perspective when you, when, you, when you paint that picture. I think a lot of it's play early on. Yeah. I think. I might be wrong about that. Maybe they're, they're groomed from a young age, but, but well, it goes it's an like, investment of effort for sure. Iron Man's not playing. There's for no, sure. there's no, well, there, in comparison, there's yeah. no, there's no, 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 you don't do that for fun. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no playing. It's like 16 hours of brutal pain. Right. So, and you're hoping, you know, one of the things I did this last Ironman, the first one ever I did in eight years where I had the mindset that I was going to go out, I was going to enjoy myself and I was going to take care of myself. If I had to go to the bathroom, I was going to pull over and not pee in my pants, but actually pull over and actually go to the bathroom. I was going, I taped my nipples with medical tape, mm, right? Savvy, I, that move. I, I waxed um, everything. I, like, <laughs> yep. literally, I took care of myself like you wouldn't believe. And it was the best race I ever had. 140 miles of just enjoyment. And I enjoyed the process. Um, and it was, it was so different. And it, it, I was like... Best race qualitatively? Yeah. How about time-wise? Not the best time. Mm-hmm. But it, it felt the best. Yep. And I, you know, it, and it's like who at at that point who cares about time because I'm I'm not gonna win. Right. Right. Um. Just because like if you want to win, you gotta do ten hours a day of training, and yep. I I want a life too. Yep. And I'm fifty three. Yeah. So you don't do that. But um. Yeah. It's it's like it was so enjoyable. Like when I was on the bike, I just really enjoyed the bike. I ate. Um, I kept myself fed, drink. There was no torture involved at all. And it was, I did, a, actually, I, I did a great time. Um, it, was, it was absolutely incredible. But just taking care of myself was so, to have that mindset. And it was a guy that told me that had done several Ironmans. He goes, you know, I have a mentor who's done like 30 championships in Hawaii. And he's like, you know, just, just take care of yourself. And it was the first time I ever really heard that. Which is a form of self-love. Yeah, just just don't torture yourself. This is not not a rocky. This is endurance. Yeah. You gotta be able to hold this for for fourteen to sixteen hours yeah. of pure cardio, like and and be able to eat and drink and pay attention to your body. I listened to my body. I listened to what you know, when it was getting a little bit too hydrated, when I had too much food. I was really listening to my body. What what's your favorite? Uh, event of the three favorite um the bike has got to be the okay that's it, what i was guessing based on what you're yeah. talking about and so then swimming swimming is your least favorite so i i have a battle with the swim 
I saw a friend of mine when I was an acquaintance of mine in 10th grade drown. Mm-hmm. And I was on the top of the diving board. And uh, I had a breakthrough in this last Ironman because of that, too. Um, he was at the bottom, a foot off the ground, and he was spread eagle, looking up. His eyes were wide open, and he was just floating at the bottom about a foot off. Everybody was, like, swimming on top because it was, like, an 8-foot pole, 10-foot Olympic, you know, tw- whatever 15 foot diving board the big one and uh he was just nobody noticed and i called the coach and the coach grabbed him pulled him out and they revived him and i had always identified up until last year with him Hmm. being drowned not the guy that saved his life Hmm. i saved this guy's life and what pivoted for me, I was swimming and I was fighting it and I was scared to death and there's adrenaline every time I swam for the last eight years. In this swim, there was no adrenaline. I had a breakthrough. I'd swam about three miles in the lake here in Vegas. And I, all of a sudden it hit me. I went, wait a minute. I was the guy that saved his life. Hmm. I wasn't the guy in the bottom. So going back to what we were talking about, you reframed I reframed context. it. And then after that, I'm like, when I swallowed water, it was just like, relax. I'm just swallowing. You're just swallowing water. It's all good. You know, you got this, your breathing was off here. You know, you're getting a little tired, just pull back a little bit. Your heart's increasing a bit, relax. It's all good. And then I started feeling like a Navy SEAL in swimming rather than a victim. I went from being a victim to the swim to going, you know, and, and this particular Ironman, they call it the washing machine when you're in the Ironman uh, swim mm-hmm. because people are hitting and kicking and, and like, and this one, I had this one lady, I don't know what it was. She just kept hitting me. Like every, I like tried to swim away from her constantly. She's like kicking and hitting me. And then on top of that, she's yelling at me. <laughs> like you're, you know, like, like you're in her like way. I'm the problem. <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like, how do I get away from this lady? <laughs> So it was it was crazy, but yeah, that that whole that whole swim getting hit was like no big deal. Do you change your stroke or your freestyle or side stroke? Breast I you know I just same stroke mm-hmm. the full thing and and hope that I got enough water and enough salt and potassium that I don't get a cramp because cramps are like uh Do you use this two point four four miles swimming? You know when you're like my calves will cramp up. That's yeah. like my big big cramper is is the calf. And uh, then I flip over and I'm screaming for, you know, a couple of minutes. What do you do to prepare for it? To prepare for which one? The, the swim to make sure you're you're not cramping. So you mentioned potassium, magnesium. Are you taking Element? Are you eating bananas? What are you doing to prepare? So when I, wise? I wake up in the morning, um, like two or three hours before we're actually doing the swim, I start drinking water right away. I start drinking a lot of salt and potassium because. I notice I can lose as much as three pounds um, during the night as I burn and sweat out whatever's, whatever's there. So I'll do water. I do a big muffin. Um, I do um, long and short carbs. I do potassium and yeah. I do salt. And I just keep, keep loading up um, until I get to the race, until um, we jump in the water and we're going. So that's... Thank goodness I didn't get a single cramp. I did the swim in one hour and 15 minutes, 2.4 miles. Um, wow. Yeah. So, was that your best time? That was my absolute yeah, that's, that's, best, that's, best freaking time ever. Yeah, that's yeah. crushing it. Yeah, we, went from the, uh, we ran through the American River to the Sacramento River. Yep. Yeah, it was a, 
Yeah, two point. And yeah, it was, I got out. I was screaming, like so happy. I was yelling and just, just, oh, it was coming out of the swim because I knew if I made that, then I would make it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I cried. I cried at the end. Just, just bald, you know? It's just such a emotional experience. They say, Andrew Cartwright, you and iron you are an Iron Man. You just Mike Riley was his last call. He was he had one other race that he was doing. This was the last time I had a chance for Mike Riley, which is a legend in the sport, to say, Andrew Cartwright, you are an Iron Man. And I just waited so long to hear that. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. So you're preparing. Yeah. To go again in October. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Back in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So yeah, obviously I got a lot of, I mean, it's a long journey, right? Life, I got to work on. So what, are, what do you think are some strategies for, I mean, I've got the strategy down for, um, for the wife. That's not a problem. But I, I thought that I could apply the same thing to me, find new and different ways every day that I find about myself that I could love. I mean, probably my best go-to is what is already working but it, I don't know, it just seems different. Like with her, it's something I can observe um, that I can see in her, you know. So what makes you think you can't do that with yourself? I'm, you know, I don't see me. I mean, you know, I see you. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, um, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it just seems so much easier with her. And it seems so, you know, now that I've done it for a while, it's been so rewarding like in in my relationship and everything like that that uh yeah i can't imagine wow i can't imagine if i had that with myself the way i feel about her Ooh, man what would would that be like oh god that would be incredible like yeah i'd be like feeling like i was floating yeah if i could yeah i wish yeah i don't know i don't know you know it's I think a part of life is you're working so much on correcting yourself all the time. Um, and I, I, I'm ferociously study every day, like every day, seven days a week. I'm studying. If I'm not working, I'm studying. Um, there's very topics. Yeah. There's no, there's no fiction. It's mm-hmm. all like, you know, medical journals or science or, you know, I used to be that way. I, I, I try to read at least a book a week. Um, mm-hmm. And I used to only read nonfiction. I was obsessed. Like, fiction is a waste of time. Recently, I mean, in the last decade, I've become more interested in fiction because I've, I've begun to realize some of the purest truths are adequately or effectively explained in fiction more than nonfiction. And in some ways, they're more palatable in fiction because yes. the, you don't resist it as much because you're like, oh, it's only fiction. Yeah, and who um, are you to say that? Right. right? Like, Anne Rand, I think, had it. Like, she's one of my favorites. I always say Mine that. Too. That my wife is a mixture of Marilyn Monroe and Anne Rand. Wow. That's yeah. extraordinary. You take those two people and you put them together and that's what I got. Oh, wow. You know? I mean, she's that's got incredible. a PhD, three masters. Her sister has three PhDs. I tease her about that. But, uh, you know, and then she's, she's like so um, uh, bombshellish. She loves like getting beautiful, yeah. you know, which I, which I really love. So... But Anne Rand, with Fountainhead and with Atlas Shrug, um, it, it's literally like, she was like, you know, I've written all these books that you just should have gotten it. Like, we are heading towards socialism and towards communism. And you guys just don't see it. And it's so obvious now. And she's long passed away. Yeah. 
and the the ownership of entrepreneurship she understood um, clearly in Fountainhead, and uh, that we've just kind of it's just it just kind of faded. But she she figured out that fiction was the only way to get her work in, and and honestly, most people would not know who she is um, if they didn't if Atlas Shrugged wasn't there, and pe- most people don't even know what Fountainhead is. Yeah, a good friend of mine uh, spoke on stage with her. And, and uh, a lot in the wow. 60s and 70s. So I got a kind of a first take wow. at who she was as a human being. And But to your point, the the collective, I think, absorbs information and fiction far better than nonfiction. Oh, which is why, sure. like, Lord of the Rings, one of my favorite all-time trilogies. I have an original uh, copy. Really? Um, wow. Which is fantastic. Uh, Star Wars. I and all Star of these, Wars. yeah, um, you know, Joseph Campbell's the hero's journey is built into all of these, but it, it's more palatable to people. So I love nonfiction. I read a lot of nonfiction, but I've started integrating fiction into my my reading, and it's helped me hmm. um, challenge another. It's like the left brain, right brain thinking. It, uh, so I'm enjoying it. I guess I, I get my my fiction through movies. movies yeah. yeah, watch I Mission Impossible. Totally. Yeah. So you know, but t- if I'm reading and really granularly dialing something in and, and wanting to get the definitive work, yep. um, I'll, I'll go to a book. Yep, and then, 100%. Yeah, so... You're going to get a much more effective, by dose, amount of information. What what book do you think you've read the most? What book have you come back to the most times? Say, beside the Bible. I know, that's exactly what uh, I thought of, yeah. was was that. That's a book that that never never really gets old. There's new way. I, I see it in new ways every time I look at it. It's timeless because I'm different. Exactly, it's timeless and it meets you at your level of consciousness. Yeah, wherever so you, that is. Yeah, wherever that is. I used to call the Bible the birth of consciousness. Yeah, because the first documented birth of consciousness. And that's a that's an apt explanation, especially when you start with Genesis one. Yeah, it's yeah. like for sure. Um, and it's think I you know people wrote something down that we can we can <laughs> we can track it you know as much as it gets bashed. Um, yeah, a book that I I constantly go back to. Um, in in what genre? I, I don't know, and it, it doesn't necessarily matter to me. I find it very fascinating um, how people frame their life and what they find important. So I, I learn a lot about someone just by how they answer that question. So it doesn't have to be a particular genre, but or maybe if it's easier, ask the question this way: What book do you find yourself recommending to people the most? What book do you give away the most or reference the most? Hmm. If you saw my library, it's so so. I would love to see it. Yeah, I'll I wonder if it, I can, I wonder if it looks like mine. Yeah, I'm going to recreate Jefferson's library. Oh, the octagon. I, I love huge libraries. It's Me just, too. and I'll go in. A, I went in the library of the second biggest house in the country uh, about three weeks ago, and um, sat in the library where and just you know that would be probably where I would have done most of my work would have been in a library completely all the way up with the ladders and yep, yep. and just all this stuff especially oh, my language oh I just love I love books um love them I've become a collector because I think and I'm not a conspiracy theorist but um as everything becomes digital mm-hmm. it's far easier to edit and control information that's digital yeah controlling paper books I think at some point is going to be a luxury yeah 
And so I'm obsessed anywhere I can. I love going into bookstores. Every time I go to a town I've never been. I have you gonna... been to the bookstore here? I haven't. No. So I'm, don't they're... come to Vegas and think to go to bookstores. But oh, there's there's one in the Palazzo. They got books there that are fifteen thousand dollars, like first edition of like um, the Venetian, Napoleon Hills, Thinking Grow Rich, yeah. right? First, first book that was ever edition. given to me. Yeah, that was eleven years old. This old man, I don't even know who he was. He was at church, handed yeah. me the book and said, "I think you should read this." It changed yeah. my life. A moment. Yeah, I, I, that was one of the first I got. And of course, um, thinking, uh, what do you call it? Um, How to Win Friends and Influence, Influence People, People by Dale yeah. Carnegie. and it's, Classic. Yeah. Antiquated, and, but classic. Yeah, and then I got, um, what do you call it? Uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad with uh, Robert Kiyosaki, which, and I bought the uh, cash flow quadrants was yep. actually the one I really adopted better yep. um, because I took four years of accounting, which was an incredible base. I got that in high school. Um, just because I liked being that I could get an A for balancing, you know, balancing the books and, and make, you know, there was an answer. It wasn't like 100%. English. That right. was it's like this moving target. It's very objective. It's very yeah, objective. I'm with you on you that. You cannot give yeah. me anything but an A. Right. And I, you know you got an A. I you know, know it. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Yeah. And I'm uh, with you. that foundation was fabulous. It's been a cornerstone for everything in like, I'm an underwriter for the SBA. I've done over 77,000 loans. I do four to 600 loan applications a day um, through, uh, you know, my, my bank. And um, I, you know, when it comes to financing, um, I could finance people that are losing money um, just because I understand the dynamics of, of financing and spreadsheets. And, um, you know, just I can tell a business if it's going to go out of business in a couple of years just by looking at the balance sheet, the what they have, like if you if you show me an auto mechanic and an auto mechanic has equipment they haven't done capital purchases um, in five years, I know that business is going out of business no matter what it's cash flowing, because as soon as they turn the cycle and they need newer computers, um, newer equipment, the equipment's going to be a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars. They've spent all the money, they depreciated their actual mechanical equipment, and by the time they're looking at it, when they come to that next step they're going to realize they don't have the cash flow and they don't have the equipment and they just spent it they thought that they were making money but yeah. all they were doing was spending their equipment See. money yeah so if they would have taken the depreciation and said look i gotta beat out the depreciation with my income and really clearly minus that to see a profit then you've got a real accurate picture of a mechanic shop and um, they're looking at me like, what are you talking about, Andrew? I said, you've, you So know, what's the life cycle of an average mechanic shop? Because I guarantee you most people aren't years. thinking. Yeah, yeah, right. It's within five, the, and five years because that's the end of your They think they're rich. Appreciation. They're yeah. like, oh, I got, I'm making 20 grand a month. I'm making 30 grand a month. I'm like, no, you're not. You're losing money. They're like, no. I said, you, gotta you have a depreciating asset called equipment that works on cars in this model year that are slowly fading off of the market. So if you're not upgrading your equipment, you won't be able to maintain and you don't bring in enough business to be able to afford the equipment upgrades you need and also do it. You need to increase your advertising. Oh, I'm not advertising more. I'm making 30 grand a month. I'm not spending more money on advertising. Okay. Um, I get it. And then they want to borrow money on top of that. So, and then I'll able to bail them out with an SBA loan, typically um, 7A, um, which will give them the equipment financing and re revigorate their company. And then the rates are low and they're fixed for a long time. And if they're really committed, 
they can they can dig out of the hole. I can get them out of the hole with a seven A. And then you can teach them, right? In that moment, if they're yeah, if they're, they're willing, they're willing to listen. Most people are not though. They see the money in their bank account and they want to spend every dime. Yeah. Like I look at money in a bank account and I divorce my the idea that that's my money. Right. I think you know it's you know it, I'd rather have that money set aside making money for me. Yes. That's how I want to put those guys to work. Yep. Right. I don't want to spend those guys. Yeah. I, I want those guys to go to work. The difference between planting your seed and eating your seed. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and it's been it's been hard because um, you know it's like my thought is when I get to you know two or three million dollars a month in income, pure income that's mine that I can spend, then I'll spend two or three hundred thousand dollars. You know, ten percent w- without without feeling bad. Yep. You know, so I think that's the right philosophy. Ten percent. Yeah. Do whatever you want with ten percent guilt free. Do whatever you want, but ten yeah. percent. Oh yeah. And most people, it's. <laughs> The opposite, or they don't have the luxury to be fair. Some people don't even can't even live in that yeah, world. I lived homeless for, um, and and people are like, you, "You're making like five grand a month. Why are you homeless?" I said, "Well, if I spend everything that I'm, then I'm I'm back to broke. I need to build up uh, a nest egg." So where did you learn to think like that? As you mentioned so. It's funny that you mentioned that. So mm-hmm. uh, Dale Carnegie came to me a little bit later, mm-hmm. but how to win friends and influence people was a big one. Uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad. I read when I was 15 mm-hmm. and it immediately helped everything make sense. Cause I grew up single mom, no successful people in my family by financial standards of wonderful people, military friends, military people, but not, not successful in the way that, you know, we look at it from a financial standpoint. I don't think any of them had a college degree. My aunt later went on and became a Jag in the air force, but um, huh. no entrepreneurs. And that book was huge for me. I, he's, I think he's, God bless him. He's he's a uh, he's a different cat. I'm gonna listen to him talk. I'm like he's he's out there. But his that book was huge for me because it just helped me put it in a frame. It was it was like he was it was intuitive to me. I, I wish like, this I could, totally makes sense. I wish I could repackage him right now. I know. Me too. I wish I could take it back and say, you know what? I love you. You changed my life. I know. That's exactly how I feel. I saw him in, in Miami in August, and I was like, what? Would you, would you you know like your outlook on life is depressing? This conspiracy idea of everything, like, like, it's always been, and it will always be. But yes. you, your original teaching, which you probably took from everybody else, which is fine. Totally, I don't, totally, I don't, which I don't, is totally fine. You repackage some nothing great new under stuff. the sun. Yeah, and and it's <laughs> like when you read the four quadrants, and did you read the four yeah, of course, quadrants? Yeah. I, I, his first five books, I think I read, and then they started. Then, then they got bad. Yeah, he, yeah, he just, just got really rapid. Like I'm like, oh, you're just milking the system now. Yeah, for sure. And his color scheme of purple and <laughs> purple and gold. And, <laughs> yeah. So like you knew it was one of his books, and then he just grabbed a new person. Oh, it's a rich friend, rich dad friend. Then yeah. like he would like grab whatever. But the the quadrants about looking at that and going, this is the balance sheet and income statement of a poor person, right? This is the, the balance sheet of a looking good, going nowhere balance sheet, which is what I'm worried about projecting to people about having things yes. before you have things. Like if you're, you know, you're going to buy a Lamborghini, you should be making four or 500000 a month. You Maybe. should make in a month what your car back costs. To exactly. Go back know? to that. And uh, before then, you should not have that. And it has nothing to do, because all you're going to do is buy a Lambo to have people that don't like you anyway tell you that they like the car and ask you what you do. Yep. You know? So, but understanding those different viewpoints was, I, I, 
it just mind-blowing at the time i bought the game 225 dollars for the game to this day with my kids oh and it was super expensive back in the day but it was an expensive monopoly but i paid 225 for mine yeah that makes sense and i was so excited to get it and i it's so hard to get people to play the game really yeah i even digitized the balance sheet income statement so that the the jobs you just pick the like it's an easy thing oh i love it it's a fun game it's great to teach your kids too because then they get it i think you should play it all the time because i think when you when you repetitiously play that game you know your neurosynapses start to fire you start to think that way that way yeah and you start looking at things that way and, and you start thinking okay i need to make enough passive income enough non-active income that doesn't require a lot of my time to be able to pay all my bills. Like I could go, I could be in a coma tomorrow. And when I come out of it, I'll be in better financial shape than going into the coma. Yep. Right. Like literally the medical is taken care of all this stuff's taken care of. They're going to feed me. It's going to be at that. I'll literally save money and my money will make money. My assets will make money and my businesses will make money. And I've got trusts all set up so that nothing changes if I go into a coma. Yeah. Instantly she has control of like, boom, 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 boom. She can just do it. Um, And my best friend, they all have the ability to make the proper decisions because I trust them to make sure nobody gets hurt during that process. None of my employees, nothing. I love it. Yeah. It's you and I haven't, this is our first conversation, but I'm, I'm laughing because there's so much of the verbiage and the way you think and talk is freaking me out because it sounds like how I think and talk. Right. Um, I'm enjoying the conversation. It's great. Me too. I wish yeah. it was more of you. I'm yeah. like, no, yeah. well, I, uh, I enjoy listening. Yeah, you do. It's obviously. More, it's more of my skill set. So do you think that's what plays into your coaching? Yes. Is that you're just a natural listener? I came here mm-hmm. to help elevate consciousness. This is the only reason I'm here. And you do that far more through listening than by talking. Yeah. Because you allow people space to process and to think. Yeah. Like two ears, one mouth. Yes. That's exactly the ratio. Two thirds of the time you should be listening, one third of the time talking. Well, how do you do that on a podcast where you're the featured guest? <laughs> you you got to work on this podcast thing, man. <laughs> I know. I'm still learning. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm going to fill the space. You know, I'm like, I'm not, I don't want any, any like. I, I know, and I, I love it. To, I want it to flow. Yeah. So. But I, you know, it's so funny. I'm like, I'm bummed that you don't live in town. I come here regularly, though. You do, yeah. Okay. I would, I would love to do this more, more often. Good. And, and well, have let's do it. it. And maybe next time we can have, maybe two other people, and we can dig into them. Yeah. And we'll have two yeah, spiritual, yeah. spiritual guys just, just going, going. I think that'd be a lot of fun. I, I yeah, we should play cash flow sometime. I would love we can do that. Anytime. Turn that into it. Anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about, we have this Spartan night we do at the house here. And I bring all like people that are making stuff happen in business to the house. Um, and it's a very Spartan pri- night? Pri- private group. Yeah. And, and what's the focus? Just, you know, just no, whatever okay. people are dealing with at the time. There's a lot of people just talking with one another and, and uh, talking about their business. And it's just like, it's it's really, it's interesting when you have people that are, you know, yeah, everyone's like half the people are probably in litigation in some way because they got a business or they're yep. dealing with an employee <laughs> issue or they're dealing with this. And the, the, you just don't have a room where you can freely speak about yep. like what's going on and, and feel safe. And I mean, that, that's part of it um, is, is that and just getting good quality people that, you know, have a couple hundred employees or have 10 employees or, or just 
really actively doing something um, because there's not that, you know, society just beats entrepreneurs up. In community and tribe is incredibly important. The judges 18, you know, the, the city on the hills, the one that gets isolated alone is the vulnerable one. It's, um, where, that's, where is that at? Judges 18. Oh, Judges the city 18. on the hill that, oh, we're good, we're good, we're good. And oh. then when the enemy came, they got wiped out because they were alone on the hill by themselves. Yeah. We're stronger in community. And that's hard. That's, I think, that's it's hard really hard to, to build get. community, especially like the YouTube community. I've reached out to lots of YouTubers to, to collaborate and to do stuff. And they're just so isolated. And so, you know, it's. And many of them, that's by design. It's, right? That's like the, way, the way they go. It's wild. And, and it's just like, you're like, I don't, I don't understand. Like they put off a totally different persona than who they are. Yeah. You know, and then when you're trying to collaborate with them or it just, it's so like cutthroat and just, wow. Hmm. You're like, you're a creator, right? Like literally, like, I don't get it. Like, you know. Do you come to Orange County? Um, yeah. Yeah. I get out there. Um, the last time I was out there, I was buying a, um, a uh, makeup company. Um, a, it's a um, contract manufacturer. Mm-hmm. And uh, for twenty million dollars, but I didn't want the real estate. They were including the real estate in it, and um, because the real estate made it top heavy mm-hmm. um, in California, and I wanted mm-hmm. the I wanted the accounts, and I didn't want the California regulation and the California oh, like, uh, labor and the so California surprised. like yeah. So <laughs> is that a is that a hint? It might be a hint. Oh, they're well, cutting us at off. At least at least that's going. At least <laughs> that's going. How did? How did that happen? It just wow. went off by itself. I don't know. Yeah. Well, now it's all kind of dark. Is that <laughs> weird? That's <laughs> never happened before. Maybe it's just uh, it's telling us, or maybe it's the heat. The, it could, could be, be the heat? It could be the heat. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it's spooky. Never happened before. Did you do that? You, you just like vibed it out there. I could have. So what do you think? So I think people have like words, like two words, like when TV comes back on. What are like the two, your two words that, that are the most predominant words for you? Yeah, I am. I am. Yeah. I shared that earlier. That oh. is my cornerstone. That is. And that, it's part of my practice at the end of my, my night. Whatever success I've had for the day, whatever failure I've had for the day, whatever the good, the bad, the criticism, the praise, it all gets laid down. All mm. of it, the good and the bad. You ever heard of Aristotle? Of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just, just, just checking. <laughs> therefore, I am right. Yep. It's well, a, that, and Descartes. I think, therefore, I am right. Yeah. That was his. That was his axiom to prove the existence of God in eternity. And then Plato used the opposite, the uh, the opposite's argument to prove the existence of God, which also started with I am. Yeah, and also yeah. fed into the the whole court system, which yep. is the Socratic method. Yep. Which we use. I, I use it in the book. Um, just about critical thinking, um, about being able to take a, a different position yes. than the one you have and end up at a disposition so that you can have both sides and all sides and be pan-determined. And beautiful, beautifully said. And I would offer one is not really qualified to argue one side until you can effectively argue both, both sides. sides. Yeah, And you just don't see that much in this day and age. Yeah, especially when you get those like quick... Uh, if you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything and all the different, yeah, you know, you fall it's like, for anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. you get those sort of pushed into our, our existence where you're like under peer pressure 
you're supposed to pick a side. Yeah. Or a, a, but if you, you know, if you're into truth, it almost is never a side. Though you're on the side of truth, but not on the side of a party or a belief system or a. Mm-hmm. Right? And so you'll be terribly inconvenient at times because when people are seeking alliances to anything other than truth, then your alliance is to truth first. That isn't always convenient. Yeah, there was an interesting thing, I, I, and it's really helped me, like in the, even in the legal realm or just period, is, and I don't know who said it, it said, you're entitled to your opinion, but you're not entitled to your facts. <laughs> Right. Beautifully said. Like facts are facts. Facts are facts. Facts are facts. Your opinion, uh, you 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 are entitled to that. But what what I think really highly manipulative people that really hurt other people try and manipulate facts. Yes. Right. And uh, you know who I think said that Obama. I think Obama was the person I heard it from. Like you know, yeah. I think that it was, sounds right. Yeah, I could hear him saying something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was like it really blew me away. It was like, uh, you know, you're not entitled to your facts. Like you can have your opinion, and I, I thought that is that is brilliant. You know, it's it's hot outside. You yeah. know, right? Hot is probably an opinion, but yeah. it's one. The fact the fact is it's uh, 104 degrees. I don't know. I'm just guessing, but yeah. the the fact is it's 104. Your interpretation of whether it's hot or not is your opinion. Yes. It's not my interpretation. Yes. Uh, my interpretation is that it feels good. Yes. Right? Um, so It's a beautiful illustration of understanding the difference between our story and reality, although that can get tricky too, um, but understanding that difference, right? It's the one piece is, and we'll call it an objective reality to the degree that we can, then the other piece is our interpretation of that data. And very often we think our interpretation of the data is the facts. Yeah. When in fact, no, that's just our perception of how we see it. Yeah, for sure. And that's tough for a lot of people. That you that'll rile feathers for some. Oh, and absolutely. Like, don't, don't take and then or the belief that my experience you 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 can you can't invalidate somebody's experience. You could try, but it, it's silly, right? If somebody's experience is their experience. The lie, though, or the deception is to think that your experience is fact or true, I think would probably be a more accurate way of saying that. Yeah. Let me give you an example. If your wife came down here right now and she says, there's a bomb, there's a bomb in the house, or the gas is on, it's going to blow up. Mm-hmm. And to the degree we believe her, we run out of the house. You probably grab your wife, maybe things you care about, we run out of the house. We're waiting for the house to blow up. She walks out behind us. She starts laughing her ass off. She thinks it's the most hilarious thing. She got us both. Right. Our experience was real. Mm-hmm. The experience of being afraid. Yes. Oh my God, the house, this beautiful house is going to blow up. Like, what happened to the gas? Stories of, why didn't I do this? Why didn't, all of that is very real. Right. Right. That's a very real experience. Mm-hmm. Don't confuse the real experience with truth, though. Right. About the bomb. About the bomb. Yeah. And this sure. is where a lot of people miss it. They create this experience and story and they think because they've had this experience, it must be based on truth. Yes. No, you can have an experience totally separated from truth. And that and you'll see that will and people who manipulate use that a lot where they'll create all this emotion and this experience behind this whole story that make it very believable. Right. And it keeps people from seeing very often the truth because they're caught up in the experience. Well, the, the experience will give you dopamine, serotonin. It'll give you um, the neurochemical with the cortisol, uh, all the stress hormones. It'll, it'll get you engaged. You'll pay attention. That's why the, the, if the media told the facts, 
it'd be the most boring, boring thing ever. Right. Um, you know, if they showed a demonstration that didn't look like a big crowd and they pulled away and showed that it was, you know, 50 people, um, that really not that many people care, yeah. but it looked like they did and they wanted to sensationalize it because they didn't have anything else to talk about. Yeah. Um, and they need your attention. Um, and if we... The only reason it works is because people clearly either don't care or don't see that. Right? Yeah. If, if this would change if people didn't consume the content, which it, it is. It's changing because less and less people are consuming the content. I don't know if it's changing, but it's becoming less relevant. Yeah. They call it mainstream media to me as an insult, right? Like when we, when we refer to that as MSM, is that's what, I'm like, that isn't mainstream media. I don't know what that is, but that's not. Yeah, that's, it's maybe entertainment, poor entertainment. But yeah, it's a, it seems. People stop consuming it, though, it'll change. Yeah, a lot of my videos get more views than the news, for sure. sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for, I, I'm just... Um, this was awesome. Away. Yeah, we'll absolutely we, do it again. Please, yeah, please, let's do this again. Think, uh, everything happens for a reason. I'm going to get, get my, my questions together so that you, you can't just listen. <laughs> this is not going to happen again. This is my podcast. You came to my podcast. You you will answer my questions. When you come to Orange County, you got to come on my podcast. Oh, okay, okay. And then, and then uh, you get the questions. And then I'll get yeah. you the questions. Oh, okay, that, that sounds fair. But next time, I just want you to be prepared. Okay. Okay. okay that there's going to be questions, right? And you're not going to get to just listen. <laughs> Fair it's enough. Not, this is going to be all about you. So. Fair enough. And, and this, this was all about you. So yeah. this was great. Thank I you. appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you for coming. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>